You should go there and look at that. But we're going to have a good time, a church family picnic. There's going to be games and things to do, but, but conversation, and, and you might meet somebody from our church community that you haven't met before. So it's a really great time. Let the kids play, and you can talk to another adult, someone your, your own age, a peer, and, and get to know other believers in this church. We have a lot of neat Christians here. So that's this Saturday. Well, let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 32 as we continue our study through this book, uh, Genesis. And primarily, we're looking at Jacob, the man. We need to learn about Jacob. As we look in the New Testament, we hear about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's an important person. We need to learn about him. There are 10 chapters in Genesis that are about this man. His name means... Uh, surplanter, he's a con man, he's a swindler. But tonight, we see how God changes his name. And he is, his, this, is, this is his big moment here. Chapter 32 describes uh, Jacob going from a man that really trusts in himself to a man that trusts in the Lord. This is his moment where he, he really relies on the Lord. And God does something interesting that we haven't seen before. But here's, here's what you're to learn from this. And let me let me just kind of give you a, a brief rundown. He's just, in the previous chapter, he's finally gotten, uh, he's left his uncle Laban, who didn't want him to leave, Haran, or Padan Haram in the scriptures. But Haran, he's been 300 miles north for 20 years, uh, 14 of those working for his wives, six of those working for these sheep and goats and camels and donkeys that he's accumulated. He's a very wealthy man at this point in time. And God says, I want you to go back to Canaan where this is your home back there. So he's going to go back home. And uh, on his way home, he realizes that, gee, if I take all these sheep and take the, these ladies, these women, my wives with me, my uncle Laban's not going to like it. In fact, he's not very happy with me right now. So so I got to leave, and so he escapes. He kind of leaves at nighttime incognito, not necessarily at nighttime, but he leaves without telling his uncle. And his uncle finds out a few days later, and he chases him. He's upset. He's mad. And he chased, that's what we learned last week. And so out of fear, instead of trusting the Lord, instead of faith, out of fear, he leaves Haran and goes home. But now, tonight, he's, he's kind of in between. Now, he, he, he's finished that whole issue of fear. He's made amends with his uncle. Uh, God came and, and remember, he came to Laban and said, don't you touch my man. Don't you touch him. And so all Laban can do is say, okay, let's build a, let's make a covenant, and I won't go that way, and you don't go that way, and you just stay away from me. Don't, don't take what's mine. You just, just stay away from me. And that's how it ended. And he, Uncle Laban kisses his daughters. He kisses his grandkids. And that's all we hear about Uncle Laban. But now Jacob is going to go home. And he's remembering 20 years ago, the reason he left to begin with is because his brother, he cheated his brother. He lied to his brother. He stole his brother's birthright and all his wealth. And his brother said, I'm going to kill you, remember? And that's why he left. So now he, he, he left Laban, who was really wanting to kill him but couldn't because of God. And now he's going to go home, and he's under threat. He doesn't know Esau. It's been 20 years, but can you imagine? He's, he's fearing again. So instead of walking by faith, trusting the Lord, he's in fear. He was in fear when he left. He's in fear as he comes home. That's what you're supposed to remember as we go into the story. And God's going to take him from fear to faith. God's going to use these situations in his life and something else, something incredible we're going to learn here in this story. 
Jacob's going to wrestle with God. Now, when I say that, you say, Pastor Lee, that is ridiculous. There is absolutely no way anyone could wrestle with God. That's just stupid. doesn't make any sense. And I would agree with you. It really doesn't make any sense in that regard. But the truth is, is, is this man, who's a con man still, he's a swindler, a schemer, the surplanter, Jacob, is going to have a wrestling match with God. I'll show you how that, that uh, works right after our prayer, but I called the study wrestling with God. This is a real key passage in the Old Testament. It's a lot of fun, too, to study, so let's uh, pray and we'll jump into it. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the, the story, this history, Lord, that we're reading of. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach each one of us how we need to surrender all, just as this man, Jacob, finally comes to the place where he has to surrender it all to receive the blessing from God. So, Lord, I pray that by application of your word that we would, we would take with us this evening these truths and apply them to our lives. But teach us now as we come to your word, teach us from its truth these wonderful things, this story, so that we might grow into the sons and daughters that are obedient and pleasing to you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus. Amen. Now, again, you're thinking in your mind, no way, it couldn't happen. You know, how could uh, Jacob wrestle with God and live? How could I wrestle with God and live? But here's the important thing. Remember, you are and have wrestled with God. Each one of us have done this. Maybe not as, as poignant as, as in this story, but let me show you first how I can make the statement that Jacob wrestled with God, just to kind of put that at rest. Look at verse 30. Just, just jump ahead and go down to verse 30 here in chapter 32. Notice what it says, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, and look what he says, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So right there in the text, Moses, remember, is writing this. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament. He's the the author. As God breathed into him, he's writing what God told him to write. He writes this, so he's writing this as God's the eyewitness. And and this is what Jacob said. I've seen God face to face. I wrestle with him face to face. And then let me show you another verse on the screen behind me, Hosea 12.3. Notice this verse in the Old Testament. He took his brother by the heel in the womb. That's obviously Jacob. And in his strength, he struggled with God. Not an angel, not another man. Notice what it says in the scripture. This is the word of God. Now, there are people that will uh, argue this away. And the reason I don't argue it away is because I believe what the Bible says is true. So I come to it from that angle. You, if you want to argue it, that's between you and, and God. I believe the word of God is truth. I believe what Moses wrote in chapter 32, verse 30, that he wrestled with God, and then Hosea 12, 3 as well. But why would God do this? And, and, and the reason is because, as I've just pointed out, Jacob had run from fear from his uncle Laban, and now he's running to another fearful situation with his brother. And it's in between these two places of fear that God meets him, and he's going to teach him, and this is really important, he's going to teach him that, Jacob, your struggle in your lifetime is not with men. It's with God. And isn't that true but with you and me? 
Our struggle in this lifetime, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against what? Principalities and powers. You may have some odds with someone in this room or your family or something, but your main deal isn't with them. It's with God. And it's when you surrender completely to God in your life that you have peace. It's when you surrender and see that, that God is your king and that God is your protector and God is everything and you surrender completely to him. That's when you really progress in your Christian life. That's what makes this story so important. So God wants Jacob to trust him and not fear these other situations. Why? Because from Jacob comes these 12 sons. He just left Haran, by the way, with 12 kids. One of them's a girl. He, he's going to have one more. And so he's got these 12 kids, one, this one girl, and we're going to read about her next week. It's kind of a sad story, but uh, it's because Jacob is the father of the Jewish nation. His sons make up the 12 tribes, that his life is so important, and God is going to teach him. How does he teach him? Through a wrestling match. Are there any wrestlers here in the room? Did you wrestle in high school? Anybody? Anybody? College? Nobody. I, you did. Rick did. So I, I, I haven't re- I wrestled a little bit, but I had three sisters, so I didn't really wrestle with them. But I, there were neighbor boys in, in, in the neighborhood when I was a little kid, you know, growing up 5, 8, 12. You get into a wrestling match. It's hard. Wrestling's hard. It takes energy and strength. If you watch Olympic wrestling, it takes energy. These guys wrestled all night long. You'll see in the story here. But God is going to teach Jacob, and God is leading him, and he's trying to help Jacob understand you've got to stop trusting in yourself, and you've got to trust me. And God wrestles with him all night long, and he teaches him this lesson by kind of allowing Jacob to win in a way, kind of. It's really interesting, the story again. But I I love what God is doing this uh, in this story, and I love when I apply this to myself, and I hope you do the same, that God is going to bring you to the same place in your life. Through a crisis, you're going to be face-to-face with God, wrestling with him. Do you trust your finances to get you through the crisis, or do you trust God? Do you trust the doctor to help you through that crisis, or are you going to trust God, see, we do the same thing. And some of you have been in a wrestling match with God for days, weeks, or years. I, I know there's, there'd be stories here tonight. But that's what we're going to learn here. It doesn't matter what it is, a car accident, an illness, a death of a loved one. God can use anything in our lives to bring us to a place where we have to finally say, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do it. And you let God. That's where God wants each and every one of us to be. Wouldn't you agree? And you ask some of the older saints in this room, and they'll tell you. They'll tell you that's precisely where God wants you. Because when you trust in your own flesh, you do it on your own, you're going to be fearful, you're going to blow it, you're going to sin. But when you finally let God work in your life and you trust the Lord, and you expect when you say, Lord, I, I need this, these finances for this obligation. Lord, I need this transportation I need this place to live. When you begin to live like that, expecting God, and instead of working it out, manipulating like Jacob, scheming, and, and that's when you are, are growing in faith, and that's when you're growing to be what God wants you to be. Do you get it? Again, I'm probably going too long in my intro, but let's jump into the chapter because it opens with Jacob. He comes home. He's going to have to face his brother. And instead of trusting God, he's scared. So this is why I've named this very first point here, Jacob's fear and distress. 
Jacob's fear and distress, verse 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Keep that in mind. When Jacob saw them, he said, this must be where God lives, God's camp. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother. So he doesn't go to his brother right away. He sent messengers. He wants to know what's going on with his brother. It's 20 years ago, he's going to kill me. I wonder if he still wants to kill me. So he, he sends messengers to the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them. Jacob says, okay, now this is how I want you to talk to my brother Esau. Say, thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. And I've oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And I've sent to tell my Lord, small L, notice small L, Lord, that I may find favor in your sight. Verse 6, then the messengers, they went out and they returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. Uh, but he's got 400 men with him. What do you think Jacob thought? When he heard 400 men. So Jacob, verse 7, was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people. He's distressed. He's afraid. So he divides up the people where he's with the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to one company and tax it, then the other, which is left, will escape. So there's his scheme. There's his plan. He's not trusting the Lord He's still walking in his own flesh here. Again, we begin here in verse 1. I want to point out a couple of things. The, this is the second time that angels have come to Jacob. You'll recall back in chapter 28, Jacob sees the angels descending and ascending on the ladder. Remember Jacob's ladder. And, and God in that point in time was the same, same thing, trying to teach him to not fear and trust the Lord by faith. And again, we're in the same place. He's in fear, and God wants to teach him. So here's these angels. These angels are, are all around him here. And it's been 20 years, <coughs> pardon me, since he left. And now he's leaving, and he comes upon this camp of angels. How did he know the angels? Did they have wings on their back? or whatever? I don't know, but he saw them ascending and descending. So there must have been something there. He knew that they were angels, again, as he begins this journey, he calls it a camp of God. So there must have been more than one, a, a camp or a host of angels. But they were there, I believe, to strengthen him. God was leading him. God shows up, in a sense, through these angels to, to kind of bolster him and encourage him and give him strength because he's fearful. He's distressed. I don't know what to do. So God shows up and, and encourages him with these angels. And I, I, I believe, too, the second reason they're there is probably to help him say, you know, you, you need to get back to your brother. You need to get back and reconcile with your brother. You need to take care of this thing that, that you did that was wrong. And I believe that you could secondarily apply this to that. You know, if you have a relationship that's really bad in your life and something happened years ago and you, you were the culprit, you did it, but you've kind of pushed it under the rug, you've pushed it aside, uh, maybe you go to a different church than that person and you see him in the grocery store and you go down the other aisle, you know, whatever it is. Uh, God wants you to reconcile. I think all through the Bible you'll see that. As a Christian, we're to reconcile our differences and, and uh, admit we're wrong and, and be brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's a secondary application uh, to this story as well. But here in Jacob's case, 
he, he's got to make peace with this person that he cheated. And before he meets with Esau, he sends these messengers to see what's up, see if everything's okay or if it's bad news. He doesn't know, but he gets the report. There's 400 men with Esau, so he's probably even more distressed. He's, he's more fearful and so he divides everything, divides all his herds, he divides his people, he divides his family. And we'll see at the end of the story, he doesn't even go with either one. He stays behind. He's going to wait to see if they wipe out that one, he'll get this one and go with that group. I mean, that's, that's his scheme, that's his plan. But he's greatly afraid, verse 7, and distressed. So he assumes the very worst and divides everything. And then this is something that he does that's, that's incredible. He's never done it before. And we find it in verse 9. It's he, he prays. He's going to pray. This is the first time this, this is mentioned of him uh, in the Bible here. He's still not walking completely by faith. He's walking, trusting himself. He, he's, he's so afraid that he doesn't know what else to do. And so he prays. I mean, where have you seen that? Or have you ever experienced that before in your Christian walk? Or if you know somebody, you know, they, they wait until it's the last moment before they go over the edge, you know, and then they pray right before they go over. And a lot of people do that. That's kind of where he's at. And my next point here, Jacob's prayer, verse 9. Then Jacob said, O God, my father, Abraham. Now, this is really interesting. I, I, I missed the word. O God of my father. He doesn't say my God. He says, Oh, God of my father, my dad used to pray. I haven't done it. I'm not used to doing this. God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. So the first thing that I notice when I, I read this prayer, he's growing in his faith, right? At least he's praying. I mean, that's one good sign in his life. But he starts this prayer by admitting his unworthiness here. And, and I think that's a, a good thing in verse 10. And this is really, this is a big step for him. He's admitting that it's not his will and his flesh and his decisions that he needs to come to the Lord. He says, I'm not worthy there. He's been a con man, a schemer all his life, and now he's growing. Secondly, Jacob is trusting the word of God because he mentions these two things that God has already told him. Number one, that God told him to return to his homeland. So he mentions that. And then he also mentions the fact, God, you said you'd bless me. So there's two things that God told him he remembers in his prayer. So that's a good thing. And Jacob is now standing on a couple of promises. He's got a little bit of a foundation as he's growing. Thirdly, Jacob asked God to save him from the hand of his brother. And so he's basically reminding God of his promise. You told me that you would preserve my life. Now, don't forget about Isaac. I mean, Esau, he, he threatened me. Don't forget about his threats, and, and I'm afraid of him. So God, remember, you said you're going to preserve me. It's almost like he's saying, God, you remember what your promise was? Because my brother Esau, he's a bad dude. I mean, remember Jacob, he was inside. He cooked 
food. He hung out with his mom. And it was Esau that was a man of the field. He was a rugged, tough man's man outside. And so you have Jacob now. He's returned. He's afraid of his brother. There's no doubt about that. But his prayer, again, it's humble. It's obedient to God's command. And he remembers God's promise. So he's learning here. Just to illustrate prayer for a moment, if you know anything about George Mueller. George Mueller, in his prayers, are so wonderful. George Mueller prayed expecting God to answer. He ran a series of orphanages in England. And he uh, did everything by faith. There are stories of his prayers where there was no food. And he woke up in the morning, went to the orphanage, and here are these hundred kids, you know, waiting to be fed, and there's no food. And so he just got on his knees and prayed, Lord, we need food. And, and a milk truck broke down out front of the orphanage, you know, right at that moment. I mean, God did some wonderful things through this man's prayers. He was a great man of faith, and he was once asked, what was the most important part of prayer? And this is what he said, the 15 minutes after I said amen. Now think about that. It was, I asked the Lord, I believe he'd do it. And then what was the most important? When God answered 15 minutes later. I love the fact that he was a man of prayer, he was a man of faith. He believed that his God would answer his prayers. And here we have Jacob's prayers here. He's not really trusting God. He's learning and he's growing in his prayer, but he's still not totally living by faith. And he's assuming the worst. That's why he divides his family there. Now, the next part of his scheme and not trusting the Lord and trusting himself is in verse 13. In my next point here, he sends gifts to appease Esau. Notice verse 13. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. So he's going to send stuff to appease him. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams. You've you got to have males so you can have more babies, right? 30 milk camels, verse 15, and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants. And every drove by itself. So there's this wave after wave of gifts. There's, so you're going to have a few goats come. And, oh, hey, this is from your servant, uh, uh, Jacob. He's, he's coming. He's behind us. And then the next wave. Oh, these are for, for my Lord Esau from my servant, Jacob. And so this wave after wave of, of uh, animals are, are coming. They're coming to appease. That's what he's doing here. And he commanded the first, verse 17, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Where are these, who are these in front of you? Then you're to tell him this. They're your servant, Jacob's. It's a present sent to my Lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. He's coming. So he commanded, verse 19, the second and the third and all who followed in droves or waves of, of gifts here, saying, in this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him. So Jacob's really specific about his instructions for the people, the servants, and all the animals. And also, uh, let's see, verse 20, and also say, behold, your servant Jacob's behind us, for he said, I will appease him with a present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face, 
Perhaps he will accept me. So this was his scheme. By the time he gets all of the sheep and all of the goats and, and the large animals, the bulls, the camels, the donkeys, by the time he gets, he's going to be so happy to see me. That's, that's, that was his plan here. So the present, verse 21, went on over before him, but he himself, he hid behind. <laughs> he lodged that night in the camp. So what we're to see in this story is that he's still not trusting the Lord He's still not walking by faith. He's scheming. He's manipulating the situation here. He's got this strategy going now. And he's good at it. He's a con man. We've seen that in his life. So he's still living his life. He's not surrendered at all to the Lord. He's still doing his his own thing here. And he sends this wave after wave of goats, sheep, cows, the animals. I don't know if you noticed the progression. They're getting bigger and bigger as they come. Finally, the camels. The camels come through and the donkeys. So the shepherds, they're given instruction. Okay, now tell them, make sure and tell them. The best is yet to come. You know, Jacob's coming. Here's the bigger stuff's coming. There's more coming. And then you're going to finally meet Jacob. So he's, this is his, his scheme here. Instead of trusting God, he's worked it all out because he's afraid. He's, he's scared. James Boyce says this. He was the same old Jacob. He had not given up himself. I like that. That's really what we see when we read the story. He's still the same old guy. He hasn't completely given up. He's not walking by faith. God has to get him to this place where he's going to walk by faith and trust in him. If God's going to make this nation of people, he's got to have this obedience from from the father of the nation here, who's Jacob. The application here just for a moment, I think when it comes to trials and struggles, we're all the same. We all try to manipulate. We all try to manage. We all try to run the situation rather than walking by faith, don't we? Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, I wish I could say that I always walked by faith. I wish I could say that. I I wouldn't be honest in telling you that. Because I look at the situation, and I look at my resources, and I look at the situation, and I, I look at what I can, okay, can you do this and this? Esther, you go there, and kids, you go there, and I'll go here, and we'll work it out. Instead of saying, Lord, you got a problem. I'm your servant, and what are you going to do here? I mean, that's really the way we're supposed to totally surrender to the Lord. But oftentimes, we take matters into our own time, uh, hands. And so that's really what this story is about. We should surrender to God. We should go back to that place. And then there's people, I've seen them, and I, I don't mean to offend anybody here, and you're here, so it's not, not you. It's none of you. But there are people, people, they, they don't walk by faith. They walk by sight, and, and they stop going to church. And then when things go bad, guess what? Guess where you'll see them? You'll see them in church. And you wonder, I, I wonder, only because I've done this full-time Christian service for 30 years now, I wonder... You know, I wonder if their marriage is upside down, hon. I wonder why they're back in church. They must have, somebody got cancer, you know. And, and I, I know it sounds awful that your pastor would think that, but there are people that you don't see for a while, and they come back, and that's exactly what's happened. They come back to church because they want to appease God. They want to send something for, they want to give God, well, maybe if we give God more money, then he'll answer, or he'll give us what we want. That is not walking by faith. That is not a good thing. There are churches. There are churches. They teach that. 
that God is going to give you what you want. That is not in the scriptures. That's not what the scriptures teach. That we're to come to the Lord by faith and allow him to do what he wants to do in our lives, in our family, in our church. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And if we would just submit to him, surrender to him, God is going to work it all out. We have to surrender to God. That's what we're learning here. Now, how does God get Jacob to that place of total surrender? Well, here it is, right here in verse 22. God comes to wrestle with Jacob. That's my next point. God comes to wrestle with him. This is really an interesting story. Verse 22. And he arose that night. Remember, everybody's gone. All the waves of uh, he's uh, divided his wealth. Some of it. There's a lot of it, but some of it's gone to his brother in waves, right? He's appeasing his brother. But he's on the other side of the river at nighttime all alone. So he arose that night, verse 22, and he took his two wives, his female servants, and his 11 sons. I'm sorry, this is the last thing he does before he become, he's alone here. They crossed over the four Jabbok, and then he took them and sent them over the brook, and he sent over everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. So God gets Jacob alone after he's finally pushed his family across the river and he's alone. God comes to him and wrestles with him. It says a man, but notice when you look at that word man, there's a capital there. That's an important uh, capital there. And I'm going to give you some other things, too, to think about. But this is Jacob alone with his family, with, away from his family, and he's with God. He's left alone, and he's wrestling now. He's going to wrestle with God till the break of day. It's obvious that Jacob, he doesn't really want to look to God anymore. He's prayed a little bit, but now he's worked everything out, and he's alone. He doesn't praying. He's not asking. He's not seeking God God comes to him. And I think that's a real important point here. And I believe for the faithful man, the faithful woman of God, the true born-again Christian, when you're in in a struggle, when you're in the battle, when you're in a difficult place, that's when God comes to you and you face God. And that's what's happened here with Jacob. God wanted Jacob's self-reliance and fleshly scheming to be taken away. He's going to get rid of all those things. So God comes to him, and he's going to do it by force. I love this because God has a plan for Jacob, and so he's going to do it by force. And he does it by force through this wrestling match. Again, as I've already shown you from Hosea 12 and these these following verses, this is no mere man. It says man here in verse 24. This is no mere man. This is Jesus, I believe, this is a pre-incarnate Christ. It's an angel of God, a man described here by Moses, but I believe the angel of the Lord, because you'll see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, and it's a pre-incarnate Christ where God takes human form and comes to work for us. And we see it in the Old Testament in different situations. In this case, it's Jesus who comes in the form of man and he wrestles with this man. Now, I believe he could at any time takes him, pins him down, you know. Ah, you know, you could see Jacob doing that. But God doesn't do that. God has a purpose. He's got a plan. So he's going he's gonna to kind of, you know. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing headlocks and dust flying and, 
And, you know, Jesus gets up every once in a while and gives him a couple of noogies and goes back at it again. God has a plan here, and that's, I, that's what I see, uh, torn clothes and all that stuff. But here's the thing that we're supposed to see. There's determination in this man, self-will in this man, Jacob. He's, he's, he's got his conniving, his scheme, his stuff going on. And that's what we're to see, his determination, his selfishness. And he keeps up the fight with his, no, I'm not going to surrender to you, God. I'm going to do it my way. That's really what the fight is all about here. And notice we're not told that God could not overcome Jacob. It doesn't say that here, only that he did not overcome Jacob. And he does it purposely, and he's trying to teach him a lesson. And the point here is that Jacob... He thought that Esau was his greatest barrier to get home and receive his blessing from God. But it was God who he's wrestling with. And Jacob, if you calculate his age, I don't know if you've been following this, and I haven't been real uh, articulate in my teaching about it. He's 100 years old in this story here. He's no young spring chicken. He's 100 years old, and he's wrestling now with God. And God continues this struggle until, look at verse 25. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip went out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go. This is is God. Let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob is going to hold on. He's, he's got this leg that's not working anymore. It's, it's out of socket. It won't work. Can you imagine the pain he's in? Again, it's the wrestling match is what we have in our mind. But I want you to imagine that for a moment. It's dark. Jesus jumps out from behind a bush, and he grabs him, and he starts wrestling with him. I mean, that's, that's really the picture here. Jerks him to the ground, headlocks. You know, it's a knockdown, drag-out battle here between these two. I, I love this thought. Now, here's, here's and I try to make um, light of it in a little bit. You have to kind of see it that way. I believe it's a true story, but, but again, like Jesus couldn't take him. And so he's got this wrestling thing going on. It's, it's really a bizarre incident here. But I, I believe that we've all been in a place like this. We've all wrestled with God. Who here has not ever had to really say, God, what is it? What did I do? What's going on here? And, you, and, and then you can't sleep at night. And You've been there, haven't you? I, I've been there. And you're wrestling with God. That's really what this is depicting here. Jacob. It's, it's, it becomes funny, you know, as I think about it. Now, let me just kind of break this wrestling match down in three different phases, just to kind of give it some context here so we can apply this story, and then we'll finish the story. But, but this story in Genesis 32 illustrates how the Lord works in us. And let me give you three, three areas, three stages of a, a wrestling match with God. Number one, Jacob wrestled with God and he lost. He really did lose, right? Because his hip was put out of joint. God touched him with pain. God conquered him with his, with his pain. The truth is, when we wrestle with God, number one, you're not going to win. And a lot of times God uses pain 
in our lives. Again, the longer you've been walking with the Lord, the more you understand that. It's painful to be disobedient to God. Wouldn't you agree? It's painful to be disobedient to God. God will allow pain in life to teach or instruct. Not to sound like a a nasty, hardcore, authoritarian parent, but, but I understood this principle when I raised my kids, and we used pain. We used pain for instruction in their lives. We never beat our kids. We didn't bruise our kids. Don't walk out of here thinking Pastor Lee beat the tar out of his kids. We didn't beat the tar out of them, but we used pain. We had what we called a wisdom worker. Ask, ask Eric or Philip. Ashley really didn't get it, but ask him. It was a little flexible piece of rubber, and boy, would it put a patch of pain wherever you snap. Oh, wow. <laughs> pain. God uses pain. Read Hebrews. It'll tell you that, that whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges his own sons. You have to understand that, that pain is something God will introduce into your life to teach you. He did it with Jacob here in this story. Jacob wrestled with God, but he lost. He lost. God used pain in his life. So look out when you're going to wrestle with God. It's better to surrender right away. Um, it's, it's better just to say, Lord, here I am. Here's my time. Here's my talent. And here's my treasure. It's all yours, Lord. I just want to live a life at peace with you. I, I'll do whatever you want me to do with my time. You know, when you get older, you have more time. Are you using it for the Lord? When you're younger, you're making more money. Are you using your treasure for God's purpose and God's work. All of these things are, are, will stick you. They'll get in your face. But, but let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Time, talent, treasure. What is it that God wants to do in your life? Have you surrendered everything to him? Secondly, so, so God wrestled with God and lost. Secondly, Jacob held on to God and he won. This is really a good point. He would not let go until God blessed him. His hip was out of joint. He felt the pain, but he held on. I just see him with, with a leg that's kind of twisted south, you know, and Jesus is walking, trying to get away from him. He's just grabbed on. He's not going to let go, and he's going to kind of be drugged through the dirt there in a sense. He's begging for a blessing there. Verse 26, he said, let me go for it. the day breaks. You know, it's like Jesus is saying, you know, we're, we should be done with this. The sun's coming up. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He was going to stay there, and he was going to hold on to him. He is learning something really important here. Instead of trusting himself now, he's got a broken leg. He has to trust God, and he's holding on to God. He's holding on to the Lord. He's, he isn't manipulating and scheming because, because he's been defeated. His, his leg's broken. His, 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 he's out of his hips out of, or his legs out of the hip socket there. He can't fight anymore, but he holds on. Have you ever been there before? It's too painful. It's difficult. The situation, the trial, it's hard. It's heavy. But you just don't let go. You're in pain, but you just don't let go of God. That's what it means to walk by faith. And not by sight, not by your scheming, not by your own device but totally trusting the Lord. You, it's not a bad place to be, just hanging on to God. Verse 27, so he said to him, what's your name? Now, this is interesting. Like Jesus doesn't know his name. I mean, think about it. 
Of course he knows his name, but this is important. He said, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Remember what his name means? Con man. I'm a swindler. I'm a surplanter. Jesus says, what's your name? Do you really have to remind me of that? I live my whole life this way. Do you really? Do you really want to? Okay, I'm a swindler. I'm a con man. That's who I am. Do you see what he's, God's doing? I love this. And I believe God does this to us too. He'll, what's your name? What's your identity? And he said, your name shall no longer be called swindler, surplanter, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So there's where God says, okay, I let you win. I'm going to let you win in this battle. Wrestle with him all night, put his hip out of joint, but he lets him win. Then Jacob asks, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you've asked about my name? And then he blessed him there. Now the question becomes, why does the angel, why does the man, why does God, why does Jesus, I believe, the incarnate Jesus, ask Jacob his name? And again, as I've said, he clearly knows his name. But he's helping Jacob to understand who he was. God has a plan. And he wants to make him into something else. And he's showing him clearly who he was, Jacob. When he said his name, he's thinking, oh, oh, I get it now. I tried to live my life my own way. I've tried to do it through scheming and manipulation. I, I've tried to work my life out that way. So now when I say my name, that's what you want me to understand. And isn't that the way it is? I mean, it's, it, God does that. God asks us questions. He leads us in a difficult place so that we'll see who we really are. Do we really trust him? Are we really obedient? I'll tell you, God will lead you into those places. Why? Because he wants you to grow. Christianity isn't, the church isn't a place where you just come and, and the pastor tells you how good you are, that you never have to repent. Just add Jesus to what you're doing now and everything's good. That's not what church is. That's not reality. The truth is, is you're a dirty, rotten, wretched sinner and you need to be changed and your name needs to be changed and everything about you needs to be changed. Wouldn't you agree? For those of you that have been Christians for any amount of time, aren't you glad you're where you are now and you're not where you were before Christ? Aren't you glad? I mean, it's, it's so apparent, so true. And so he changes his name. I, I love that fact. The, he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel in verse 28. The name Israel is a compound of two different words. The first means struggle or rule, and then L, everyone knows the L being God. It's a very interesting rule. Daniel, the word Daniel or the name Daniel means God judges. Israel means God rules. He's gone from surplanter, con man, to now God rules in his life. And the question would be for you and I tonight is, does God rule? Does God rule in my marriage? Does God rule in my job? Does God rule in my finances? Does God rule? His name was changed. He was a con man. And now his name is God rules or Israel. Here's the point. The Lord will finally subdue your self-centered, manipulative place in life. He's going to... 
He's going to subdue your willful pride, the pride that's deep in your heart. God's going to eventually humble you. Will it take all night? Will it take a wrestling match? What will it take in your life to get you to a place? Jacob wrestled with God and lost, number two. Jacob held on to God and won. And number three, my next point, Jacob limped from God and he served. Number three, he limped from God, but he served. This is a real beautiful truth here. I I love this. Verse 30, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. It means face of God because that's what he saw. He saw God there, wrestled with him. And then he says, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Most people that come face to face with God, they they were dead. His life was preserved. Verse 31, just as he crossed over, Peniel the sun rose on him. And how did he walk across? And how, how did he live the rest of his days? With a limp. He limped the rest of his days on his hip because God Took it out of joint there. Jacob is now a different man. We've looked at Jacob's life from back in chapter 26, con man, swindler, not walking by faith, conniving, lying. And God takes him through for 20 years the school of hard knocks to teach and train him, to soften him up. And now he goes through this wrestling match and he's, he's, he's a different man. He's going to now walk by faith, although it'll be with a limp the rest of his life. He's going to walk by faith. He's different. He's at peace with God. He had pain, but now he's happy. He was whole at one time. Now he limps, but he's, he, he's at total peace with the Lord. He, he understands his place. His stubbornness, his self-pride has all been broken through that wrestling match. And now he's free to serve God. And now God's going to start using this man because he's free of his pride and his schemes. This was his turning point in his life. As I've said up till now, his whole life has been just one lie after another, one plot, one scheme, even the waves of appeasement to his brother, trying to work it out on his own. But now he's going to trust the Lord. Just like you and I need to trust the Lord, we're to walk by faith. Hebrews eleven six. you know this verse. Here it is on the screen behind me. But without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The Christian life is a walk of faith. And when you're not walking by faith and walking by your own flesh and your own sight, you're going to go through wrestling matches. If I was to ask, don't raise your hand. Don't reveal the truth to everyone around you. But if I was to ask the question, how many of you are in a wrestling match right now with God? I think that everyone in this room, their hand would shoot right up and say, there's something right now going on in your life. God is trying to to work. He's trying to break you up. He's trying to move. But I'm not going to move from here. And and God's going to, you're wrestling with God. You need to surrender. You get it? That's what happened in his life. He he had to surrender. Seeking the Lord, trusting the Lord for his will and not your own is what prayer is. It's what the submissive life is all about. All to Jesus I surrender. 
We sang it tonight. Is it true in your life? Is it true in your life? If you're young and you have little children, it's probably the first time you have a baby. The first time in your life you realize that all your selfishness is now there. There it is. Crying, demanding, wanting, right? Am I right, parents? They're smiling. They're laughing at me right now. And, and you're going to have to, as a parent, teach that child not to be so selfish and teach that child to obey God. And you're learning the same thing as you grow and mature in the Lord, that it's, it's all about living for him. It's all about his glory. It's not about your life. But if you want to stay in a wrestling match for a long time, you're just going to get a broken hip. And I think about people, sports figures, you know. It's, this is like a quarterback getting a broken arm. It's like a running back with a broken leg. You're worthless. You can't do it anymore. And God will bring you to that place of surrender. We all need to be in that same spot, surrender. We need to realize that, that the biggest problem in the world right now is right here. And when you finally, <laughs> I know that's not the PC culture. That's not what they teach you at school. But that's what the scripture says. When you humble yourself before the Lord, and, and, and you hold on for that blessing. Say, Lord, I, I'm in pain, I'm broken, I can't do it anymore, but I, I, I want you to bless me. I want you to lead me. I want you to answer the, the, the issue right now. God will do that. God will bless you. You just have to come to that place where you're, you're empty and you finally surrender. And when you do that, you go from, you get a new name, just like Jacob. You go from sinner to what? Saint. Jacob went from, from that to God rules. Now, it was Jacob ruled before. Now, it's God rules. You go from re- rebellious and being a rebel to being a friend of God. God changes you. Isn't that what you need in your life? You need that change. You need to stop your wrestling match, and you need to surrender to God. G.K. Chesterton read a news article that asked the question, What is wrong with the world? That's a great question you could ask even tonight. What is wrong with the world? And someone came to him. If you've ever read G.K. Chesterton, uh, philosophy, mind beyond yours and mine, love to read him because I'll never get there, but I, I love to read. Someone asked his response to that. What's wrong with the world? He got out a piece of paper and he wrote this. I am because he realized, Chesterton realized that, that he is the problem, that sin is in him. And when we realize that and surrender to God and hold on to him for a blessing, that's when our name changes. That's when the peace comes. That's what the story is all about. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. I pray that these, your people, would hear this story, to see it, Lord, as it's recorded for us by Moses.